You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about Joe Biden and the Jonas Brothers. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your friendly hosts of this here podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, maybe we'll give you a little bit of a rundown of how things work around here. So Micah is our resident politics expert, and she will be breaking down a big issue of the month for me and for you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, My passion lies in pop culture, so I'll be doing the same for a showbiz story of the month. And we also like to share some things that we have read, watched, and listened to over the past 30 or so days, because these kind of fall along the politics to pop culture spectrum. They do. But before we get into all that, what have you been up to this month, Micah? How's June been for you? Uh, June has been decent. I graduated, which is all that really matters. Woo! Yeah. Um, that was a lot of fun. It was the hottest day of the year so far, and we all almost died. Um, someone fainted. What? It was a lot, yeah. It was like, for Very dramatic. everyone who isn't American, it was uh, 26 degrees, no, it was almost 30 degrees Celsius. So Right. That is very hot. In your yeah, little especially for Vancouver. In a, cap- in a polyester cap and gown. <laughs> yep. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Other than that, decent June. How have you been? Uh, also decent June. I have been busy going to a lot of, a lot of gigs this month. So I'll probably talk about that more in the listening section of this podcast. I have been doing some reading, though, and I read a very music-y book this month, which I would really like to tell you about, my mm-hmm. So, it's called Daisy Jones and the Six, and it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it is essentially an oral history centering on a fictional 1970s band. And I should highlight fictional because it's very detailed around the band. Like, it goes very into depth about like their tours and like the lyrics of specific songs and stuff so it's easy to forget that it's not real it's not a real band but it is also very clearly loosely based on the history and dynamics of Fleetwood Mac so it's perfect for anyone who's interested in that 1970s California sex drugs and rock and roll scene (laughs) and it's just so enjoyable it's one of those ones that feels like you're binging a reality tv show Um, but I I do have some little gripes with it that I'm going to forewarn people about um, number one is that having read and adored my beloved Meet Me in the Bathroom, which I mentioned every single episode, and you should all buy um, very decently priced on Book Depository. Um, I didn't write it or anything. It sounds like I'm plugging my own product. <laughs> uh, just a really good PR girl. Uh, <laughs> that's a real oral history, and it's obvious that this one doesn't have the same like depth or dimension as that. Mm-hmm. And there is also a very, very, very cheesy twist towards the end that nearly ruined the whole thing for me. But overall, it was very enjoyable. And if you like music and that era, I think you will absolutely love it. Nice. Have you read anything nice? I have read some really interesting books this month. I have two short books that I want to talk about. They're both like under 200 pages. Oh, that's um, doable. Super short. Um, so the first one is fiction. It's called Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. Um, it was, I love going to the local library and seeing what they have on like their newly released and recommended. So this was on that shelf. Um, it's very hard to describe the like inside flap of the book describes it as folklore. I don't know if I would really call it that. Um, Mm -hmm. the NPR headline says, uh, ghost wall is an eerie coming of age tale that begs for a second read. Completely agree. 
Um, so it's about this girl who's doing an Iron Age reenactment with her controlling father, her mother, and an archaeology class in Northern England. Um, and it kind of, the main structure is to kind of contrast the patriarchy of the Iron Age with the patriarchy of the current day. So like how oh, there's women's place and um, in, in the way we live our lives and like regular day to day. Um, but the thing is, is what I really liked about it wasn't really this like sometimes forced contrast, but more about the voice of the main character and then the narrative form. So it's kind of like, I can't remember what book it was that you read a couple months ago where it doesn't have dialogue. It has like, it's just inserted into it. And so you oh, have, like, Sally Rooney's books. Yeah. Yeah. Conversations with friends and normal people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting as a like form of storytelling. So everything kind of blended together. Um, and it, it kind of made you in some ways passive to the action and more interested in like how she felt about the action and the speech. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. And I like left the book feeling like very like it had left an impact on me. Oh, that's cool. And I like definitely agree. I really like this. Um, I had to return it to the library, so I might like take it out again. Because you could like, I was really busy and slash just watching a lot of stuff and not reading. Um, and so I, like, you definitely could sit down and read it in two hours. Um, right. Okay. Ghost Wall. I'm going to look yes. for that in my library right now. What is your other book, Micah? So my other book I actually listened to. It's called I'm Afraid of Men by Vivek Shreya. What a great name. Such a good name. So mm. it's a memoir by a Canadian trans woman of Southeast Asian descent. Um, she now lives in Alberta. I think she grew up in Toronto. Um, so she's primarily known in Canada as a poet and a performance artist and only came out as trans um, like halfway through her career. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I would like highly recommend the audiobook because she narrates it herself. Um, and then you, so you get all the kind of like emotion in it. I love that. I think that like I'm not, I do like audiobooks. I find mm-hmm. I don't absorb the information very well unless it is like a memoir. And I think having yeah. the person who wrote the memoir read it phenomenal. I find mm-hmm. that format works really well for me and I think this would be great. Yeah. Like that. And the audiobook is only an hour and a half long. So you have like I listened oh. to it when I had a day of like a really long drive ahead of me. Yeah. Um and so the store the book kind of investigates her relationship with men throughout her life and mm-hmm. it explores like very on the nose themes of like patriarchy and racism, but it also explores like what it means to love a man when you're afraid of men and growing mm-hmm. up um and her relationship to men through that and i think it's really interesting because you kind of see i'm afraid of men and it sounds really like not like you can see the not all men coming out really quickly um it sounds a little clickbaity doesn't it like yeah when you finish the book you say you can like 100 percent understand why she's afraid of men like there's no like well that seems like an over exaggeration like Mm. you fully understand what it means to be a trans woman of color in Canada and like living through that experience um and you would think like this book would leave you kind of like sad at the end of it which it does but it's also so beautifully written and insightful that you kind of leave it feeling like you understand the world better but you also understand how to move forward in that world and how to like confront the fact that you have fear 
it's beautiful um and i would also suggest like checking out some of her poems because they're also wonderful we'll have to do that micah yeah. i'll have to do that in between watching <laughs> tell me lies tell me big little lies i have been singing that nonstop because mm-hmm. big little lies is back is. are you caught up i'm not i'm actually girl i know I, I haven't, I'm not a, like, it's HBO, yeah? Yes. I don't feel like dropping the money on an HBO subscription. Neither. And I thought I was going to have to, and I mm-hmm. spent a long time online seeing if I could, like, tie it in with my Amazon Prime or what was going on. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this and you were in, like, definitely Ireland, probably the UK, it's on Sky Atlantic every Monday night at 9 o'clock and then Sky Atlantic plus one at 10 o'clock. So. Nice. Okay, but yes, if you don't watch Big Little Lies, number one, where have you been? Have you been it's living amazing. under a rock? Um, you might not know. There's also a guy called Timothy Chalamet who exists. I'm assuming if you don't know about Big Little Lies, you probably don't know about him. <laughs> a lot we need to catch you up on. Start maybe at the first episode of this podcast and mm-hmm. work away because you've missed out on a lot. Um, under that rock, come out, come out. Uh, but basically, it is a show based on a book mm-hmm. that centers on a bunch of women living in a privileged California town. And last season, which was the first season, we watched their lives begin to intertwine and see them learn each other's secrets. And mm-hmm. now in this season, we're seeing everything unravel, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely loving it so far. I am a little concerned that it's going to be caught in the shadow of season one. And I think there's only so long we can pick at the seams of the season one plot yeah. and see what unravels, then we're going to need to come up with some new threads. It, it needs to break out by itself. What's soon. interesting about season one and what I loved so much about it was it like, it hints at the end for the entire season. Mm. And like, that was like my, one of my favorite parts. And like, they can't really do that now because it's already happened. So. Yeah. I found that even really interesting while you were reading the book because a lot of it is quite, it would go through this, like the day to day, mundanity of of you know yeah. women dropping their kids off at school and it doesn't seem very interesting but because you've always got this hint at a big thing that happens yes, in exactly the- it really really keeps you interested because i was reading this book and i was like how have i read a hundred pages of someone dropping their kids to school and having a fight <laughs> with their husband and i was like don't really care but for some reason i really really do mm-hmm. there's a big payoff you guys there is a big ass payoff so get in on that mm-hmm. I- I think you should watch Fleabag. And when I say you, I mean the collective you, as in everyone listening. But I also really, really mean you, Micah, because mm-hmm. like you would love this. It is right up your alley. It is a show about a woman who is known only as Fleabag, mm-hmm. who is attempting to navigate life and love in London. And there's a definite undercurrent of grief and tragedy throughout. So it is very, very funny. It's very irreverent. It's daring. It's sharp. It breaks the fourth wall, which is like a pretty cool technique. I think it helps the show feel really fresh. I thought it'd be a little bit naff, but it's not whatsoever. Um, the second season is very recent. It was recently released in the US, I think through Amazon Prime, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- and it is absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it focuses on a romance that Fleabag has with a sexy priest. And honestly, they're my cool. new gym and and I really shouldn't fancy a priest, but like I definitely do. And here we are. So what can we do? There you go. Um, Mike is about to like psychoanalyze my <laughs> which All our conversations really go, turn back to Mike and going, 
but you went to Catholic school. <laughs> this is true. I was about to say. Um, she also wears an amazing jumpsuit in the first episode of the second season. And mm-hmm. I actually bought it online and you had to like back order it because it had like sold out. But it's actually amazing. It was only like 50 euros. Like it's super, nice. super cheap. That's with delivery. Um, unfortunately, it's clearly for a very tall person, which Phoebe Waller-Bridge who wrote yeah. and is so there's like kind of like another half my leg that I'm gonna have to get taken up on this because I'm like five foot three and she must mm-hmm. be like ten or something. See, I've um, been traumatized by jumpsuits this month because I keep on trying them on <laughs> and they're too short. Like, oh, worse well, is too sorry, long. it's because of problems. <laughs> we have opposite problems. Yes, we could like combine to form like the a normally size. sized you. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who can buy clothes online. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually bought this kind of like 60s like Chanel-esque shift dress mm-hmm. like in a store the other day and it was so gorgeous that I had to buy it even though it was like half a foot too long. Mm-hmm. So I'm now getting my clothes like properly like tailored. Like I am wow. a you fancy lady. Like, yeah, I was just going to like sew them up myself. But then my mom was like, let's go like, get them taken up. And I was like, I'm a woman now. So <laughs> that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically, I love the show, and I was influenced, hashtag influenced, into <laughs> buying a jumpsuit that's far too big for me. Have you watched anything good this month, Micah? I've watched so much this month, but oh I God, will... Tell um, me about some things. Um, I watched uh, Always Be My Maybe, which is a hint towards uh, our pop culture segment today. Yes, we'll talk uh, about that soon. Yes, we will. Uh, I, and I watched... A lot of reality TV. I was recovering from surgery, so yeah. I had a lot of time on my hands. But you don't have to. Hey, this is different things can be said. You do not have true. to justify your reality TV binging. Just own it, girlfriend. Yes. Um, maybe in a future episode, I will tell you about all the reality TV. But yes, on please. this episode, I will tell you about my favorite movie of the year so far, <gasps> which is Booksmart. Booksmart. It is right. so good. So it is a coming-of-age movie directed by Olivia Wilde. Yes, Olivia Wilde, the actress. She is great. This is her directorial debut, and it's great. Um, So the movie is about these two girls in high school in California who have dedicated all their time to getting to the best colleges, and they do. They get into Yale and Columbia. And then on the last day of school, they find out that all of their classmates who are also going to top schools, but they partied the entire <laughs> high school. And so they have this like moment. But like, I love that because that is so true. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. It was like kids in my high school who like, you know, like wouldn't speak to anyone and were like insanely studying. But like, they didn't do that much better than people who had lives. Like, mm-hmm. um, you, can, you can have a life in high school. Anyone yes. who's listening to this and is not yet finished high school. Um, so they have this moment of like complete like what have we done with our lives and decide that on the last night of high school they will have a wild night so that they can make up for all the time that they have lost Um, this movie there's so many great parts about it the best part obviously is the friendship between the two main characters Um, they're super supportive and they like truly love each other and boost each other up there's all these great scenes of them like trying on new outfits and then just like um praising how beautiful the other person is very forcefully it's wonderful i love a good outfit montage in a movie i just don't think it's complete without one i know exactly Mm -hmm. um and there's a huge amount of representation in the movie but it's not like 
part of the storyline. It's just like part of the characters. So one of the two best friends, yeah, like one of the two best friends is gay, and it's one of her many character traits. And she like tried, she like hooks up with a girl in it, and like it's just normal and whatever, um, which is great. And there's like so many great characters in this cast, and they're also compelling. Um, and then there's this awesome, very casual and like accepted feminism. And so like the girls are just like, they just are feminists and it's not mocked. It's just like part of who they are. And so they have like, um, one of the girls on her bedroom, it says a room of her own, which is like a Virginia Woolf callback. Their, um, greatest fear is like being Barbie dolls, like stereotypical, like I'm hot and everyone should like me because of my looks. So they have this, like, there's a scene where they, like, are high and, like, become Barbie dolls, and it's, like, their worst nightmare. It's great. It's very odd. Um, the other great part of it is its soundtrack. It's so good. Um, Ooh, tell me more. It has, it has like, everything. There's Lizzo, because you can't have a soundtrack without Lizzo. Um, no. You can't these days, can you? Yeah. Um, what else is there? There's, like, the typical, like, oh, there's, like, there's stuff from, like, the early 2000s in there that's really good. It's just, like, a great, like, party playlist or, like, going on a drive and you want to have something to pump you up. Good. Have you seen that meme of, like, Harry Potter from the Chamber of Secrets where it's, like, I'll be in my room listening to Lizzo and pretending I have self-confidence? <laughs> I have not, and that's wonderful. True. True, Harry. <laughs> um, the other movie, one of the other movies I saw in the last month was Chasing Happiness, the Jonas Brothers documentary, which I feel yes. to mention, given our Jonas Brothers love. I feel There's a lot of Joe Brothers love on this, this pod. True. I feel very sad to say that it was just fine. It was not very good. Which is kind of sad. It was very forced. Like, um, okay. The way they advanced the plot was they had the three brothers playing a drinking game where they just had to, like, answer questions, and if they didn't want to answer them, they had to, like, drink. Um, but it was, like, so clearly set up and that they, like, knew exactly what questions they were going to ask. And right. Then there was also, like, tea about, like, how Joe and Nick, like, played a show without Kevin <laughs> after they were broken up. And, like... <laughs> A ballerina once like made fun of Joe Jonas's body and like all this other stuff. <laughs> but like, you, I, yeah, I find like the Jonas Brothers. I love them. I find them being a little bit like self mythologizing. Like, are. yeah, in that I'm not sure we were actually up to the stage where we were all like ironic, like ironically enjoying the Jonas Brothers yet, but they very much like placed us in that, you know, where they'll kind of dress up as their old selves and do like, you know, recreate memes and stuff. And I feel like they're kind of like pushing that side. It is, it's a little bit self-mythologizing. It, it, that is the perfect way to describe the movie. And I feel like if you were a Jonas Brothers fan, you will like enjoy it as because you like the Jonas Brothers. If you have no yeah. like enjoyment of the Jonas Brothers, like it'll do nothing for you. And you'd probably be kind of like, mm, that's not how I remember the year 2009. Yes. Like that wasn't really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was even yeah. like, like I was never a, a like screaming super fan, go to the concert and like die a little inside. And so even then I was like slightly separated from all of these girls who were like chasing down their cars and all of that and so it's, i would have done it i would have yeah. done it 
I was never one of those yeah. kids, so. Yeah. Be sensible. I know. Are you book smart? Person. I am too book smart. Should have been chasing the Jonas Brothers, Micah. What were you doing? What it's a waste you doing? of my elementary school career. <laughs> um, well, I have not wasted my June concert-going career. That has been added <laughs> in force this month. Not sure if that was the best segue, but you know what? I'm going to give it a go. It's pretty good. Uh, I have been to a lot of concerts, yes. I went to London to see Interpol and the Strokes mm-hmm. at an open festival, which I've been meaning to update you guys on for like three months now because I've just been talking about it so much. It was fantastic. I was just so excited to see them both on the same day. It was just best ever. Um, I will say that this, like, the festival wasn't actually that well organized and mm-hmm. there were some sound issues with the Strokes performance um, that was not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was a very exciting exciting day for me. Um, I'm just thinking about it now. I'm a little bit short of breath, <laughs> but I loved it. I there was also a lot of gigs going on in Dublin, so I took my sister to see Elton John and Fleetwood Mac for her birthday and Christmas presents for maybe like the next ten years. Those were those were some expensive ass tickets. <laughs> um, and then I also saw Blossom supporting Noel Gallagher last week, which was fantastic, even though it rained most of the evening. And it was outdoors, and I got rained on despite it being Irish summer. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Too bad. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, speaking of blossoms, they do have an, a new track out. It is called Your Girlfriend, and I bloody love it. I wrote a review of it, so I'll link that in the show notes if y'all want to read about it and listen to what I think is a really good summary bop. What have I been listening to? Um, besides the Booksmart soundtrack, I've actually mm-hmm. been listening to quite a few podcasts, which I don't think we've Our competitors. So I don't know. Um, no, one of them. Not. You should listen to all podcasts. You should listen to all podcasts. Yeah. There's only, oh. there's, there's so many hours in the day. You can listen to so many. <laughs> um, so one of my favorites this month has been Throughline, which is an NPR podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And it takes a deep dive into current news stories by looking at the past events that led to the present. Um, it's really well done. The production is great. So they really incorporate music and storytelling. And sometimes they have actors read um, like journals. So they did a episode oh, cool. on um, China. And so they had an actor read um, Dr. Sun Yat Sen's um, memoir. Um, <gasps> yeah, it's really oh, good. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so my favorite episodes that have really, like, changed the way I see current events, which I think is the point of the podcast. Um, the Nancy Pelosi episode is wonderful. Um, it really, like, I think in this current, like, in the last two years, Nancy Pelosi has seemed like a horrible person. And, like, she has been portrayed more negatively than positively. Um, mm. And listening I, by everyone um, <laughs> on all sides. But by listening to this, you kind of understand where she comes from. And has, she's much more endearing now. Um, in my mind. The other one is Mitch McConnell and makes him seem like a worse person than he is if he weren't around. Um, nice. his, his political history is really interesting, but it also makes you understand why he's in the position he's in today, which is really important. Um, hmm. The other one, yeah, um, the last episode I'll recommend is called Outbreak, and it's about the history of vaccines, and it goes all the way back to the 1880s and how the first wave of anti-vaxxers started. So, it's outbreak not that movie where like Patrick Dempsey gets bitten by a monkey and dies, and then I like think so? Donald Sutherland is trying to like like 
nuke some like California town and then Cuba Gooding Jr. and Dustin Hoffman have to like fly a helicopter and stop him? Maybe. This episode not as exciting. Just very historical. A 1995 American medical disaster. Is this? Yeah, this is the one I'm thinking. You should, guys should watch that as well if you've got the spare time. Mm-hmm. The outbreak, watch some outbreak. Yes. Um, the other podcast I will recommend, which I literally started listening to in the last couple of days, is Armchair Expert by Dax Shepard. It's a very I popular like podcast. Yeah. I think a lot of people have listened to it. It's only like a year or so old. Um, so it's very a long, prolific though. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a long-form interview show where he basically just interviews his friends in the entertainment industry. Um, and it's really great. He kind of like gets in depth about um, their past, but also like where they are in life. And they have really interesting discussions about what it means to be a celebrity in this day and age and like his level of celebrity. Like he's no Leo DiCaprio, but he's like a very famous celebrity. Um, or as he says, he's like married to a very famous yes, celebrity. <laughs> um, my favorite episode, which is like, a lot of podcastception. He interviews Ira Glass, the host of This American yeah. Life, which is because I am a good white girl podcast listener. I love This American Life. Um, but he, he does like a two-hour interview with him and they talk about, and Dax Shepard is like a huge fan of Ira Glass. This was basically him fanboying over Ira Glass for two hours, um, but also getting like really personal and talking about um, like his divorce, which um, happened recently, and also like how this American life came to be, which was really interesting. But the great interviews. The Josh Hutcherson interview is actually quite good. Oh, yeah, Josh. Well, so they, he and Dax Shepard did a movie together at the beginning of both of their careers. Oh, so Josh Hutcherson was twelve, and Dax Shepard. Yeah, was I was gonna say twenty-five <laughs> or something. But they started at about the same time because it took. Um, Dax Shepard so long to become um, yeah. an actor, whereas like Josh Hutcherson started at like the age of eight or something. He was born to be one. Do you want to yes. actually hear more podcastception around this topic? Yes, I've got some fun facts to lay. So, in an episode of Switched On Pop, which is a really good podcast, I also mm-hmm. recommend. They talk about Old Town Road, which we talked about in our last episode yes. of the podcast, and apparently. In NPR, Ira Glass mm-hmm. also uses the Nine Inch Nails sample that they use at the beginning of Old, uh, Old Town Road. So there's like, we've just linked all the podcasts there. Like, the, oh, he does, bum, doesn't he? Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, that bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Yeah, I kind of needed that pointed out to me, but then I was like, oh. Um, other podcast option is that I'm going to recommend Dax Shepard's episodes of um, Anna Faris is Unqualified, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I already did in like one of our very first episodes. Of yeah, this I podcast. think so. Still some of my favorite podcast episodes mm-hmm. ever. I just like, I know a lot of people don't like the celebrity interview format because they think that like the interviewer becomes too self-indulgent and talks about themselves too much when they're supposed to be interviewing someone. But I really like Dax Shepard's ones because he's just very interesting. And I think he's mm-hmm. very candid about, his life and struggles mm-hmm. etc and i care about him so. that was what was really interesting is that like especially when they talk about being a celebrity like if you're not one you don't know what questions to ask and so yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah. questions and he also had this in- 
conversation with Ira Glass about like a good interviewer when asking someone to like go to this emotional place will have to go there with them because Oprah he, does that. Oprah does yeah. that. Um, yeah. And so he kind of does that as well. Um, the whole like I've only listened to like three or four at this point. They're all great, and we're definitely. I just want like. Dak Shepard. So my friend Caitlin and I, Caitlin, if you're listening, hello. We <laughs> with um a business venture and the business venture is called Dak Shepard in my pocket. And mm-hmm. it's basically an app where if you're in a situation, Dak Shepard just gives you advice on it. Because uh-huh. he is so wise. Like I don't know if you've got that from the episodes you've listened to, but I definitely got it from that Anna Faris is unqualified episode. Like people were bringing him questions and his advice was next level Mm -hmm. it was like the best advice i've ever listened to it was Mm -hmm. phenomenal so um i'm just gonna like i haven't officially got the trademark but i'm just gonna put out here none of you bitches better rip off my (laughs) idea this is our idea it's dak shepherd in my pocket you cannot have it Mm -hmm. but you know one day hopefully he will be in your pocket that's one of the other things I really liked about him is he has an anthropology degree, just like a BA. And he's one of the, so many people like get BAs and then like go and do things unrelated and never really think about what their BA is in, which like fair enough, because like it's a kind of ridiculous requirement that you need to get this degree just to get a job when you like don't really care about the topic like deeply. But he does really care about anthropology. And here he is like 30 years later, still like not 30, 20 years later like, still talking about it and, like, still, like, using this knowledge he gained, like, in his podcast, which is a person who hopes to, like, do the same, like, I found really interesting and great. There we go. There we go. Well, I guess it's almost time for you to use your degree, Michael. (laughs) Let's talk about politics. So, as an official bachelor's degree holder in politics, I will now tell you about politics. Yes. Because I am now qualified to do that. Not really at all. Um, Anyways. Y'all are lucky this podcast is free. We should be charging you for my degree. Yeah, we should. Um, When I I get future degrees, we will start charging. Um, (laughs) You go on, uh, is it Luminary? Is that the the podcast app that, like, Russell Brand, like, Lena Dunham are on that you have to pay for? Yes, or we could like get a Kofi, which is like tipping, or like Patreon, or a Patreon. Yes, basically lap up this free content while you can, guys, because <laughs> soon Mike is going to be charging y'all. Exactly. <laughs> so today I thought we would talk about um, Iran in a very, I will admit, simple fashion because we only have so much time and it's very complicated. Something I thought was interesting about last week was that war almost started in the Middle East, and no one is really talking about it. Um, That's true. I was kind of following this uh, through the skim, which I get delivered to my inbox every day, and that was probably one of the very few places I saw actually reporting on it. Mm -hmm. So um, today we will kind of go through um, not the whole history of Iran, but Iran's history and its relations with the U.S., to see what led us to this point and we'll also talk about what has been happening in the last week and a half and why we were almost at the brink of war which is great um so iran is a country in the middle east if you do not know um it is a shia muslim country um quick rundown of that um the muslim faith is separated into many different um denominations like christianity is but the two main ones are shia and sunni and the split 
originally was just about who got to take over after Mohammed died. But then it's like obviously become more and more political and it's a doctrinal shift, um, but also about how they see themselves. So the Shia um, believed that the wrong person was put in charge after Muhammad, and so they see themselves as supporters of oppressed peoples and um, fighters for justice, which kind of right. ties into um, Iran's history as like quite a revolutionary state. Um, so, very complicated history, and we're going to kind of slide in um, where the Americans get involved. So, World War II happens, the British and the Russians kind of take over part of Iran, they let them have an independent country, but um, Iran doesn't have control of its own oil, and it's the Middle East, there's huge amounts of oil, and oil is like the main way that these countries um, have monetary power. So, they have a democratically elected prime minister named Mossadegh, who's the head of the Communist Party and is really for the people. Um, and he decides that one of his first acts in office will be to nationalize um, Iranians' oil, which is at that time controlled by the British. Now, the British, the great colonialists that they are, are very upset about this because they think they have a right to this oil. Um, and through a series of events in 1953, a coup happens in Iran where, um, in which the British and the CIA from America have some amount of influence and it's debated about how much the U.S. Um, forced this coup and how much it was internal, but the U.S. was part of it. And they have a coup and Mossadegh um, gets kicked out of office and has to flee the country. And um, the Shah, who is kind of like a king in Iran, um, gets put in place. And so they were in power beforehand. And so now he has absolute power over the country. And he mm -hmm. decides, kind of like um, Ataturk in Turkey, that he wants to have a secular Western country. Before this, religion had a part in um, Iranian politics. It wasn't like it is today. Um, Imams had some sway in politics, um, and the Shah came in and he really wanted to have a secular modern state. Um, he was also quite corrupt and violent, and there's a huge amount of state-sponsored murders of people who opposed him. And it wasn't entirely secular. The Imams still had some amount of power and still spoke out against the Shah during this time. And so this is the 50s, and then you go up to 1979. Um, when the revolution starts. And so the revolution starts as an uprising against the Shah. Um, it has less to do with religion and more to do with the dissatisfaction about the regime and the standard of living. So it had to do with um, both the fact that many people couldn't get jobs, um, but everyone was quite educated. So there were all these people graduating with bachelor's degrees right. and had nowhere to go after that. Um, and it was... Like, you couldn't live this, like, prosperous life that you wanted to live. Also, there was um, claims that Iran was getting too American. Um, so the Shah really wanted to westernize, which basically in the 70s means Americanize. And so they had this resistance to kind of being encroached on by this other state. Um, so it starts as a peaceful protest. 
and then the government cracks down and kills a couple protesters. So then the protests increase to the point where the Shah is forced to flee and is deposed, and he moves to the U.S. And this is a really important moment because it changes America. It like tension was already there between Iran, the Iranian people, and the U.S., but then this really solidifies it as the U.S. is harboring who they see as like a war criminal and a dictator. Um, and he stays there until he dies of cancer. Um, and so the Shah leaves, and then after a revolution, you need to set up a government, and so this really chaotic period begins where no one's really sure who's going to... There's no one to, like, crack down on the protesting and down... Is this where the movie Argo comes in? Yes. Yeah! And so... I love Argo so much. I do too, and I have been made fun of for loving Argo, but yeah, same. But like, um, no one's gonna make me feel bad about loving Ben Affleck or Joshua from Friends slash mm-hmm. Cooper's dad in the OC. So, mm-hmm. big up Argo. Yes, and so this is the point where they start burning American flags in the streets. Um, they start storming the embassy. A la Argo hostage crisis, where the Canadians help an American CIA agent. Um, get six americans out yeah danny warbucks slash um guy titanic helps them right Mm -hmm. yes so you could go and watch argo for a mildly accurate depiction of what happens yes in my head the guy who helped um hostages in iran in the 1970s is the same guy who uh created the blueprints for the titanic that's how it works in my head yep Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like obviously a point of huge tension between Iran and the U.S. because yeah. all of these Americans being held captive, um, and it's right before an election, so it's a very defining moment in Jimmy Carter's presidency, and in the like following election, um, the it all gets solved eventually, um, and the Ayatollah Khomeini is um, a, he appoints himself as leader. Um, and he is um, an imam and so and wants to establish a theocracy. So a theocracy is a government dictated by religion, and in this case, the religion is Shia Islam. Okay. And so the way a theocracy works in Iran is that they, um, they have like an elected government, so they have a prime minister like we do in other countries, but they also have a body of imams and religious leaders who have to approve the law. And so they use both Muslim law and the Muslim law is like the law of reigning. And then they obviously have other laws where like Muslim law does not have an explicit, like this is how internet works. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but, but all the laws pass through this religious body. Um, right. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. So here I'm we following. have, and, and obviously the U.S. won, so they've just lost one of their footholds in the Middle East because the Shah was working with them, um, and they're not, like, the biggest fan of theocracies. Though, I mean, have, they have supported other theocracies in the past, so they're not the biggest fan of this theocracy. Um, so since the Iranian Revolution in 79, Many things have happened. Um, Iran has established itself as a major power in the Middle East with rivalries with Saudi Arabia, which is a Sunni country, um, Israel, obviously, um, and then, of course, Iraq. The Iran-Iraq war happened. Um, So there's been a huge amount of them building up their military quite quickly um, and fighting quite intensively with their neighbors. 
there's also so this is like their external policy internally um not everyone has been incredibly happy with the Shah, or sorry, with um, Ayatollah Khomeini and his predecessors. Because um, you remember, like, the protest started not as, like, a we want a religious government. It started as we want better living conditions and we want right. back our democracy. Because it's, Mossadegh was elected democratically. Um, and so Iran has this really interesting and sometimes intention history of both being very religious and having a very strong religious elite but also having this revolutionary and democratic tilt. Um, and this happened, this happened, especially in the last like 10 years, there have been a huge amount of protests um, by Iranian citizens against the government and asking for more democracy, especially after elections that kind of end up not being exactly um, democratic, it seems. I mean, kind of, it's hard for them to be democratic in the first place because the people running are selected by the religious elite. So that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. So it's a little different. Right. It's a little different. So this, this is a country in um, tension with itself and with the outside world. And so now we get to kind of almost present day. We're so close. So you may have heard. Um, about the Iran nuclear deal. So this was like... I have actually. But yes. Yeah, it's I actually of, know a little bit about this, which yeah. is... So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of been this massive thing in foreign policy in the last, like, 10 years, but, like, more in the last, like, five. Um, mm-hmm. So when Obama entered office. He said one of his main goals was to have a nuclear deal with Iran. Why would you need this deal? So clearly nuclear weapons are very bad and we don't want unstable governments to have them. Um, we also don't want governments who are constantly on the brink of war to have nuclear weapons. And Iran has been trying to beef up its nuclear weapon stores since the revolution. Um, it actually is really interesting. It was the Americans who started their nuclear weapons program when the Shah was in power. And then obviously when there was the revolution, oh. they um, took it over. It used to be a citizen's nuclear weapons program, and I admittedly don't know exactly how that works, but it was taken over by the government. Um, and so in 2015, this negotiation with Iran um, came to a close, and the, uh, the U.S., uh, France, England, the EU, and I think that was it. Was it Russia and China as well? Russia and China as well, yeah, um, signed the nuclear deal. So what came, what did Iran have to do um, by signing the nuclear deal? They agreed to get rid of 90% of their uranium, which is the material used to create nuclear weapons. They also had a limit on how enriched the uranium could be, so you need to enrich uranium to use it. And it was at a level that you could use it to do experiments and create power, but it was at a level like 20 times less than you would need to create weapons. Um, They also had to decrease the amount of centrifuges that would be used to um, make weapons. And then... To ensure that they did this, they agreed to very thorough inspections. And uh, um expert in this said that it was almost impossible them, for them to cheat, given the level of inspection yeah. they had. Um, 
So basically this means that it was almost impossible for them to make a bomb, and if they wanted to make a bomb, it would take them a very, very long time because they wouldn't have the capabilities. So why would Iran, who feels itself to be a major power in the Middle East, but also a majorly threatened by other countries in the Middle East, why would they agree to this? Well, the U.S. and other countries, um, and through the U.N., had been sanctioning Iran and crippling its economy. Um, right. Especially with oil being such a big deal, sanctions were really bad for the country, and they are unable to prosper in the way that they wanted to, given these sanctions. So the agreement was, you sign the Iran nuclear deal, and we will decrease the sanctions. Mm-hmm. And this was signed in 2015, and it was this massive deal in foreign policy. Um, like, this was the hallmark of Obama's foreign policy in his eight years as president. It was incredibly important. It was one of his big, like, he personally thought was his biggest achievement. Then, here we are in 2015, the nuclear deal happens. It is also the primaries for the election, and Trump hates it. He thinks it's one of Obama's worst foreign policy moves. He thinks that the deal isn't enough. Um, not really defining what enough is. Um, and he says he doesn't trust... So, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. He yes. thinks like he can negotiate better terms, right? He because one of the terms, terms is that this only lasts for like 10 to 15 years, right? There's like certain yeah. parts of it. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like, no, 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 this should be like forever. And he's yeah. kind of not happy with the terms of it and thinks he can negotiate better. Yes. Um, even though all other leaders... Um, in the world think these this is the best you can do um and it's like it's pretty amazing yes. um well, except for israel right yes but israel one someone. of the people signing on to it yeah, yeah. so um, it's not yeah the, the europe and russia and china were all happy enough with it yes um and he says he the reason why he like doesn't think enough one it's the renewal thing but he also just doesn't trust iran to follow the okay um rules even though the inspection process is in place yeah um and most americans and both politicians and citizens think it's a great deal like republicans democrats like think it's a wonderful deal um he wants to negotiate a better deal and so um the thing with the nuclear deal is you have to re-sign on every 90 days um oh yeah yeah i remember reading about this but yeah so to ensure that um, both ends of the deal are being met. Um, and so in 20, May 2018, a full two years after, or a year and a half, I guess, after being put in office, he um, pulls back. And then in November 2018, he um, places newer and stronger sanctions against Iran. Right. So here we are. Trump, very like caustic towards Iran. He's openly hostile. Um, since before and after rescinding out of the nuclear deal. Um, so he's done things like declaring the Revolutionary Guard, which is one part of the Iranian military. He's called them a terrorist organization, which is funny because Iran has sponsored a terrorist organization, namely Hezbollah. And that, like, there it is, Iran's terrorist organization. But the Revolutionary Guard, by all accounts, that is, it's not the appropriate terminology for it and it's quite like an aggressive move um and that like puts certain onus it not only makes iran implicated by it because you 
can't state sponsor terrorist organizations, that's wrong, but also like changes how the American military must respond to the Revolutionary Guard. Um, he's also, of course, imposed more and more sanctions. So, obviously, we've talked about quite a bit how oil is incredibly important in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. especially for Iran. So on June 13th, 2019, an oil tanker in the Gulf of Oman, which is kind of like, it's very clearly explained, between Oman and Iran, um, blew up. And the U.S. almost immediately blamed Iran for the attacks without producing any evidence. And these accusations were denied by the Iranians. Right. Um, and we still don't know what happened. What happened? Right. Yes. So then on June 17th, um, Iran said, okay, we're going to back out of the nuclear deal. So you have to remember that the U.S. wasn't the only country that signed on to the nuclear deal. So technically the nuclear deal still stands between Iran and other countries. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, wasn't President Macron of France quite upset that the the U.S. had backed out of the deal? Well, because so the U.S. is such an economic powerhouse. Yeah. One of the appeals of joining the nuclear deal for Iran is that now they get to do um, trade with the U.S. and they have Mm. so much money and so much need for oil Mm. um, and their other products. And so when you when a you take the U.S. out of it, all of a sudden, it's way less appealing to be so part of the deal. It's something that could like potentially damage the U.S. relationship with the other countries yes. who had signed on, the allies like France, who are upset that they've drawn mm-hmm. up. But, I mean, I guess like if you think about it, it would make someone like Iran or a country like Iran quite wary about signing deals in the future if one mm-hmm. president sign off on it and the next one can pull out of it yeah Um, so this is what's really interesting is the pulling out of the nuclear deal happened in parallel to talks about a nuclear deal with north korea and so right yeah kim jong-un's probably be like like, why would i sign on to this if the next guy can just pull out of it right um when you study American foreign policy, what's really interesting is that clearly people disagree on policy, but there's mm-hmm. still a general consistency across administrations, regardless of party, um, that like once a decision has been made, it remains that way for the most right. part. Right. And so yeah, and this is out where this hasn't happened. Yeah. Right. So sorry, we were up to the ground um, pulling out. Yes, yes. on June 17th. So Iran pulls out on the same day Trump authorized the deployment of a thousand troops to the Middle East. Yes, I remember this hearing about this. Um, so it's June 17th, two, three days later, on June 20th, Iran shoots down an American drone. Now Iran says it was in America it was in Iranian airspace, and the Americans say that it was in international waters. Um, and they can't agree on where it was. So this is like pretty big deal. You don't yeah. mess with other people's military things. Um, then on June 21st, the day later, um, Trump calls for an airstrike on Iran, um, which is like a big deal. And then he puts out a tweet saying, 
10 minutes before hitting, before the airstrike was supposed to happen, I learned about the civilian casualties and I will no longer be going through with this airstrike. Okay, um, cool. It's kind of unclear about the series of events of like, whether that's why he pulled out or what, I'm, there's an assumption that a lot of his generals were quite against it. Right, okay. And the reason they would be against it is that there's this principle in international diplomacy called the proportional response. So right, yeah. when someone when someone is an aggressor, so like you think they blew up a tank or like you know that they shot down one of your drones, you're supposed to act in proportional terms to that. Um, and so the drone, no one died in the airstrike, 150 people would probably die. Um, and so when you don't act proportionally, it's seen as a um, act of war. And that gives the, uh, the person who has had the atrocity committed against them or the attack committed against them, it gives them the right to attack back in whatever way they see fit. Well, hopefully proportionally-ish. But it does mean that you can very easily have an escalation of attacks, um, which could very well lead to a war, in this case, in the Middle East. Hey there, this is Editing Micah speaking. Um, I think it's really important to admit when we have made a mistake when speaking, and so I am here to say that I don't think I was entirely right to say that one, Iran would have a right to fight against the U.S. in cases, in the case of Trump shooting down the drone. Um, there are many different international laws, and there are also many different rules of engagement by different countries. And the notion of proportionality is represented in all of these laws, but is not, like, explicitly written down. However, if you read the commentary about the situation, you'll see that most commentators agree that Iran most definitely would have seen um, the using of drones to kill Iranian citizens as a declaration of war, or not necessarily a declaration of war, but an act of aggression that would lead them to escalate um, their aggression against the U.S., which very well easily could have led to war. Um, the notion of proportionality is a really interesting one. Um, I will pop some links in the show notes. Mostly it comes up in things like the Geneva Convention, which talks about what the rules of engagement within a war, but proportionality also exists in things like just, law, just war theory, um, which is something formulated like in the Middle Ages which is also very interesting, and I will also pop a link in the uh, description below. But yes, um, I am here to tell you that I misspoke a little bit, and hopefully I have clarified it a bit more. Okay, on with the show. Where are we at now, then? So that was on the 21st, and Trump decided to not go through with the airstrikes. Mm -hmm. And so, actually today, June 24th, um, Trump announced bigger tariffs and sanctions against Iran. Right. So this seems like a de-escalation. It's one of Trump's favorite foreign policy tools is to have sanctions and tariffs. And while China, Canada, Mexico, mm. EU, Britain, everyone. We're all sanctioned. Yeah. Uh, it's like the worst Oprah prize ever. Um, <laughs> you get a sanction. And you get a sanction. Yes. Um, so that is a de-escalation, which is great for 
the prospect of not having war in the Middle East, yes. but doesn't really solve the bigger problem of there is interesting no, to see, well you know, I, mean, yeah. I hate saying it'll be interesting, but um we will be anticipating where this mm-hmm. will go. Um I did actually pop some links of videos that I had watched last year when I was learning more about the background of this. Obviously, it doesn't touch on the later stuff that Mike has talked about, the things that's developing right now. But mm-hmm. uh, John Green, our beloved John Green, has a crash course in the Iran revolution. Mm-hmm. I found very helpful. And then Vox have a video about how the Iranian nuclear deal works. So we'll pop mm-hmm. the links for those if anyone would like to get even more background on that. But Micah, your explanation has been very very thorough i feel i've learned a lot of of the background and what's happening Mm -hmm. right now and we will um i guess we'll be learning more about this every single day yeah we will So Keanu Reeves, a Canadian-American actor most famous for 90s action movies like Speed and The Matrix, is experiencing a career resurgence mm-hmm. this summer. A phenomenon that some are calling a Keanu sense. Kind of like a renaissance, you know what I see? Yeah. A Keanu sense. Um, so <laughs> seemingly very randomly and suddenly, the internet has fallen head over heels for Keanu, making him the latest internet boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So this episode, I thought I'd dig a little into who Keanu Reeves is, how he's captured hearts, what internet boyfriends are, and why I think they're actually a pretty good thing. And I guess where Keanu fits in all that. Yes. So, first up, are you a Keanu girl, Micah? Um, yeah, he's cool. My favorite yeah. thing is that one of the people we seem shocked about a lot on this podcast, John Green, has been a Keanu Reeves fan for years. Yeah. And like it has been one of his character traits. Like he oh, loves, that he Keanu, loves Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Right. And now he like feels like it's been taken from him. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's almost like like I liked that band before they were cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was the person <laughs> who weirdly liked Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I mean I'm not sure if like Keanu Reeves was ever a you know, a, a really left of field choice to this like. I mean, you know, if you like, what if you're really into the guy who played Mike Brandanowitz on like the first season of Parks and Rec? Like, that would be a very niche choice if mm-hmm. he turned out to be, you know, the next big thing. But no, I can see where John Green is coming from. So if you are not as much of an avid uh, Keanu Reeves lover as John Green, <laughs> here is the lowdown on who he is. Basically, as I mentioned, he is a Canadian American actor. He'll be turning 55 this year. More on that later. He was born in Lebanon to an English mother and an American father. Um, But his father left the family when Keanu was quite young. And then his mother moved the family to Sydney and then New York and then Toronto. And then she married like three more times. Mm -hmm. Um, He's had a very interesting upbringing. And he attended a lot of different schools, obviously, along the way. But ended up dropping out without a high school diploma and moved to L.A where he had breakout roles in teen movies like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And then he was in films like Point Break and um, Bram Stoker's Dracula and then became a leading man and best known for films like Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick. Mm-hmm. So to bring up to speed more recently, he starred in Destination Wedding alongside Winona Ryder. Uh, this summer he has been and will be appearing in Toy Story, and Netflix's Always Be My Maybe. What did you think of that, by the way, Micah? I thought it was like a fun, cute movie. 
I am the biggest rom-com girl ever and I thought it was hella boring. I mm-hmm. just, it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. I admittedly so, was doing work at the same time while watching it, mm-hmm. which probably made it a bit like I didn't need as much from yeah. it. Yeah. It just, it, it was one that really, it didn't, it didn't hit home for me, except for Keanu's part, which I, again, I will talk about <laughs> a little bit more later. Um, and he'll also have a role in the upcoming video game, Cyberpunk 2070. Mm-hmm. 2070? No. <laughs> he will also have a role in the upcoming video game, Cyberpunk 2077. That's it. 77? That sounds right. Um, but he also does a lot besides acting. So he played bass in a band. He wrote a picture book for adults, which as far as I know is not an adult picture book. I feel that would be like a different kind of yeah. thing. Um, I, I think it's just kind of like an adult coloring book mm-hmm. situation. Um, he directed a martial arts movie and he has set up motorcycle and publishing companies. Cool. I think they're two of his big loves are motorbikes and books. So mm-hmm. A very, very interesting man. But, I mean, the question remains, why does everyone love him and why not? Because, like, there's, there's, there's lots of actors who have been in movies, you know? Um, so, firstly, he seems like a really nice guy. So, he's a generous philanthropist who has his own foundation. It doesn't have his name attached to it. So, it's, you know, sometimes celebrities get a bad rap for almost doing it as, like, a, like a vanity mm-hmm. project. Obviously, a good deal, but they're getting something out of it as well. Yeah. Um, he kind of doesn't and that charity or that foundation sorry supports children's hospitals and cancer research um a video recently resurfaced from i believe 2011 of him giving up his seat to a woman with a large bag on the subway so it's a little bare minimum Mm -hmm. but i guess the fact that like someone who doesn't have to take the gross subway does take the gross subway is pretty humble i don't know i'm trying to I, that's a very that's a peter kavinsky yeah Bare yeah it's a, nice. yeah i think the same as like peter kavinsky like as bad as it sounds like because keanu is like famous like him doing a nice thing it's like to get that on video is like pretty freaking yeah. cool you know it's like mm-hmm. that person is not just saying I was on a subway and Keanu Reeves was in the same car as me. It's that I was on the subway and Keanu Reeves gave me his seat, which but is... But you should do that. Like, you see that anyway. Like, carrying yep. a big, like... In fairness, it was just like a sports bag, like, from the gym. Oh, okay. Well, that seems like a lot, but okay. <laughs> now you're like, <laughs> Why, like... <laughs> Yeah, she was just standing there, like, I think she was holding a railing and she was holding, like, a sports bag and he was just like, do you want my seat? So maybe Keanu is a bit of a vague. <laughs> More recently, he was on a flight, I think between LA and San Francisco and it got like diverted and then all the passengers had to take a road trip on a bus like, with Keanu Reeves. That's awesome. <laughs> so they'd already been all like freaking out that they were on the flight with him and then they got stuck in this tiny airport with him and then they all had to get on like a minibus with him and like, I'd like drive for like hours and apparently... Mm-hmm was like reading out facts and he was playing like music off like his phone and <laughs> they all just had like an actual road trip with Keanu Reeves so I think that's pretty funny um and there's also like this is probably one of the more famous ones but there's tons of pictures of him posing with female fans without touching them mm-hmm. like he doesn't do like the, the the arm 
hold or like the small of the back thing uh, again like it's a little bare minimum yeah. but as we've seen in the me too era there's a frightening number of people who don't meet this bare minimum standard and it's nice to see someone actually taking it like quite seriously mm-hmm. um in that they make an effort not to make anyone uncomfortable so that's another reason why people quite like keanu um secondly he's almost like accidentally very funny in a very internet humor kind of way so there's long been like long since been this thing that he doesn't age yes he as i said is 55 this year and looks ridiculously good like he you would never guess that except for my dad i asked him how old he thought keanu was and he got it like straight away so either he's a keanu fan in the like last year has been aging more maybe um there is a theory that he's immortal because yes. people have um like traced pictures back of like Charlemagne and stuff and like he kind of looks like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so there's that theory. That's always been kind of a thing. Um there's also been a lot of Keanu memes. So um I say one of the biggest memes possibly ever is conspiracy Keanu. So it's like a screenshot of him looking shooketh from mm-hmm. uh, Bill and Ted. And that's like one of the OG memes. So you know those ones that had like the text on top and like text on the bottom yes. and the image in the middle and there was like you know the like the success kid it was like the little baby doing like this thing mm-hmm. and there was the lord of the ring like one does not simply and there was yes. the Willy Wonka one like the condescending Willy Wonka um so conspiracy Keanu has always been a big internet staple um there's also a sad Keanu so there was a mm-hmm. picture of him a sandwich on a bench in New York and then there was like a cheer up Keanu day that was spawned out of this yes um there's also a recent Twitter thread of puns on his I name. I love this one. Have you seen this? Yes. That's pretty good. So obviously his name is Keanu Reeves, but people will say things like Keanu graduates, Keanu achieves, <laughs> or Keanu lies, Keanu deceives. And it's, it's pretty funny. It's so uh, funny. And the threads go on forever. You can really mm-hmm. get caught in a wormhole there. Um. As I mentioned, he was in Always Be My Maybe, and in that, he played an absolutely hilarious caricature of himself. So, as I said, he played himself, but it was, like, a much more dramatic and profound version of himself, and that's, like, something he's always kind of mocked for being a little bit dramatic and having these, mm-hmm. like, almost, like, Confucian sayings. Um, so that, that was really funny. And he also recently appeared at the E3 video game conference in Los Angeles where a member of the audience yelled you're breathtaking and he responded by telling the audience they were in fact breathtaking nice. so he does some very very gifable things um but yeah there's a lot of like celebs who are nice and funny but I think Keanu has taken off because he has really broad appeal mm-hmm. so um I mean this is being like very reductive and like ignorant of nuances but you know, he appeals to a lot of men because he's an action star in, you mm-hmm. know, some very masculine movies. Or, but also those masculine movies have a geeky side to them, which is probably why people like yeah. John Green love him. Um, but then he also appeals to, you know, a lot of women because he seemed to be very kind and chivalrous and handsome and single as well. I will say mm-hmm. that. Um, I think he also has like a cross-generational appeal. So there's like, the nostalgia for those who would have seen him in, you know, the nineties movies, but also like the, the nineties is very in vogue at the moment among teens. Yes. So they like that as well. Um, 
but again, he's like doing the current movies now that are big things like Toy Story and like the Netflix rom-com. I think Toy Story is the ultimate like present day and nostalgia hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, he also kind of crosses the political divide, which is a huge thing in the present day, obviously. So, you know, those on the left like that he's, he's quite woke. Um, and then when I was doing my research for this episode, I also stumbled across some like conservative commentators who liked the fact that he's very wholesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so thus, we now have more than 60,000 people who've signed a change.org petition to make him Times Person of the Year. Um, wow. Yeah. And their kind of reasoning for that is, is that we're in very bleak and trying times. And Keanu Reeves is someone that we can almost all agree on is a shining light in our lives. Remember how Billy Ray Cyrus said that like Lil Nas yes. X was one? It seems like more people think Keanu Reeves is one. So, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone in the celebrity elk is going to get it, it, it will probably be Keanu. Um, he's also joining the canon of internet boyfriends, mm-hmm. which is an expression that has very much taken off over the past few years. Um, so, like internet boyfriends, are obviously like a guy that like predominantly women but like also a lot of men you'd yeah. be totally in love with. Yeah. So they're not like usually the like the typically handsome, the hyper masculine Hollywood mm-hmm. kind of guys. These are kind of considered internet husbands. So that's you know the Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, Army Hammer, Idris Elba's of the world. Yes. Internet boyfriends are usually kind of like adorkable, which is a word we're going to apply to people who are not Zoe De Chanel. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think that's because there's like a lingering association with like Tumblr culture and the idea that people who spend like a lot of time on the internet are like outsiders. So maybe they're more like attracted to slash have more of a chance, feel the sarcasm, uh, with (laughs) someone who's like a little quirky. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, by definition, they're not bad boys. They're someone you'd be happy for your teenage sister to fancy. They're usually like quite woke so they feel very relevant to like the modern scenes and young people um often an overnight success so for example noah centineo who's last time i'm still not even sure that's how you pronounce it i have no idea like i just call him like noah you know yeah again he feels very relatable um he's Mm -hmm. just noah to us he gained a million instagram followers within 24 hours of to all the boys i've loved before premiering on netflix ridiculous like mm-hmm. what um and i think a big one is that they probably paid with puppies for a buzzfeed video yes. buzzfeed are big fans of making people play with puppies and i love those with- videos chances are you're an internet boyfriend mm-hmm. they're very enjoyable so some examples i think probably one of the biggest ones of the past few years is our beloved timothy chalamet yes um cole sprouse is up there tom holland is up there mm-hmm. um, and i guess like to just illustrate this point a little bit more Mm -hmm. so celebrity interview site offset created a march madness style internet boyfriends bracket last year Mm -hmm. um it was made very difficult by the fact that the first face-off is between harry styles and timothy chalamet that's true that that, like really tested me immediately Mm -hmm. um but i thought that micah and i would do the bracket and let you know of our findings yes should we post our brackets we should we will Will we talk about, we'll, we'll talk Let's about talk them as well. Yeah. We'll post them to the gram. Okay. Okay. So the March Madness bracket. Now, as I mentioned, I feel a lot of these do fall into the internet husband yeah. category. And Noah Centineo isn't on here. 
Oh, well, I'll, to all the boys who before hadn't come out, then this yes. is from March last year. See, so he'd be like kind of ultimate internet boyfriend. We for need to everyone. find an updated one. We do. What so if has we made an updated one? I like it. So it has people like, you know, Chris Evans and like Justin Trudeau, who I really feel fall in the internet husbands category. Yeah. Um, but then you've also got, you know, the classic internet boys like Shawn Mendes. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is on there? Anthony from Queer Eye. He's yes. a big internet boyfriend. Um, okay, so who did you end up with in your final face-off? My final face-off, this might be shocking, was Tom Holland and Oscar Isaac. That is a very shocking face off. I really who won? Like Tom Holland. He's, He's wonderful. Did he win? Yeah. He did. <gasps> okay, so Micah's alternate boyfriend is Tom Holland. Let's put that yeah. on the record. Okay, so I ended up with Timmy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side was very difficult. So I ended up in a bit of a situation where I had um, Anthony from Queer Eye and mm-hmm. Andrew against each other yeah and this was very difficult um i ended up going with andrew garfield because um i just felt i had more of a chance with him uh, yeah him being straight help help him being straight helped his cause i mean it was like for something that should be as obvious as that i really spent <laughs> a long time deliberating I mean, him over. being not exclusively into men we don't know what andrew garfield's about no but more so than that yes <laughs> from queer eye okay um, so I ended up with Timmy and Andy. Um, mm-hmm. those. um that's a very difficult one. In the end, I had to go with Timmy because I feel he embodies the spirit of internet boyfriend better. That's true. Um, number one, he's like a fair bit younger than Andrew Garfield. Number two, Andrew Garfield doesn't do the social media stuff, and Timmy is flat out. I mean, he's, he, Timmy's like coy on social media, but. Timmy wearing things like a sparkly harness on the red carpet, that's classic internet boyfriend shoes. Like, I feel like if I had known the proper definition of internet boyfriend, maybe I would have had You were just going with who was the cutest, were you? I, was, I don't know what I was going with. Right. I was trying to think of, like, on the internet, who do I like more? Well, I feel like the fact that, like, Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet were our two final ones. Like, that, mm-hmm. I feel, embodies the spirit quite well. Yes, I had I had a face-off between Timmy and Tom Holland. It was very difficult. Timmy and Tom. Timmy and Tom. Oh. But there's this, I don't know if you've seen this image. He did a cool photo shoot, like, on the water, like, on a chair with fire around him. And there's this Who great this? gift. Timothy Chalamet or this Tom, Tom Holland? Holland. Right, that makes sense why this, I haven't seen it then. Yes, there's this wonderful gift of him catching on fire and, like, jumping into the water. <laughs> Yeah, he's very funny like that. Like, even that kind of setup thing where he, like, gave out the Marvel spoilers. Like, I still found it funny. Like, it was, it was good acting. Um, so, yeah. So, given that, why is Keanu an internet boyfriend? I mean, you could make an argument that he's more of an internet husband due to, like, yes. his age and his time in the game. But otherwise, he does fit the criteria. He is very woke. He's quite adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has played with puppies for BuzzFeed, which we will link in the show notes. So mm-hmm. that's how he fits in there. Um, and I guess the thing is, are internet boyfriends a good thing? Or is this a young people internet culture thing that needs to die? <laughs> I'm going to argue that they are a good thing. So, you know, as long as people aren't taking it too far and like stalking them. But like, to be honest, that happens like regardless of this. Like, People As a side like note, gender. yeah, 
In this Josh Hutcherson interviewed with Dax Shepard, he talks about how during Hunger Games, these two moms drove down to Arkansas, I think, from Chicago on Christmas Day and knocked on his grandparents' door and were like, I know this is like really wrong and we shouldn't be doing this. Like, it's not fair. But can you say hi to my daughters on Christmas Day? Oh, my God. Was he upset about it? Um, he was very upset about it. Um, but, like, was still nice to them because they're, like, 12-year-olds. And he, I think he and his dad were kind of mean to the moms because, like, that is not okay. Yeah, they're grown-ups. They should know better than that. Yes. Oh, God. So look, as long as you're not doing that, but I think that happens regardless of, you know, whether it's internet boyfriends yeah. or not. Like like random celebrities get like stalked so um yeah um i think the danger with internet boyfriends is celebrating the bare minimum mm-hmm. um as we have mentioned you know with the likes of peter kavinsky with the peter uh, kavinsky standard which i think should just yeah. be an accepted thing yeah is that you should be nice to your girlfriend no uh, but it's <laughs> like a thing we talk about on the internet when someone is bare minimum it should be the peter kavinsky standard i like that yeah the, yeah. the legacy of our podcast. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I think the bar is constantly being raised because, yeah. like, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we would have, like, internet boyfriends would have been celebrities who didn't ever, like, interact with fans or were, like, rude or were, like, bad boys. So mm-hmm. I think it's actually, like, a good thing that to curry public favor nowadays and to like win hearts today you need to be kind and aware of the world and yeah. you know what if we're going to place our energy anyway like let's make it people who are worth it and having had like a look of the people in the march madness internet boyfriends bracket like they're all pretty sweet guys or like seemingly mm-hmm. sweet guys who i don't think are harmful for people to have mm-hmm. you know crushes on no one's going to join like a satanic cult after you know, being really into Chris Evans. So yes. we need to make a new chart because I feel like it can be better. Jeff Goldblum is an internet husband. He's internet husband, definitely. I think I think we could shake this up a little bit. As we mm-hmm. said, Noah Centineo is not on there. I feel there's definitely like I don't know. Camille uh, um, Nanjani isn't on there. You know who isn't? I don't think um, Archie and Jughead are on there. Need to be there. No one from the Netflix Sabrina, basically anyone who's in like a Netflix teen thing, they need to be on there. Definitely. We'll update it for y'all. Mm-hmm. All righty. That is us for another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Thank you so much for tuning in. Are you up to anything fancy before we touch base again, Micah? I will be traveling a little bit trying to find an apartment visiting my best friend having some fun times yeah that sounds lovely that sounds lovely um i actually was about to say i'm seeing a friend of the podcast tomorrow but that's not the case (laughs) i'm seeing a band that both micah and i have fangirled over that band is the killers um so exciting they are a friend of the podcast they are a friend i feel like they're kind of nice guys and if we like genuinely ask if they want to be on it they probably say yes like Mm -hmm. I'm sure they can fit it into a schedule. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so where can people watch your travels, Micah? Uh, they can watch my Instagram stories at Miss Clearwater on Instagram. I will be there. Fabulous. I'll, mm-hmm. be, I'll be stalking you there. Um, 
and you can watch my killers videos at Yasmin Lomax on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to find our new March Madness bracket, which we'll be working on, mm-hmm. uh, that will be at DTCBS podcast on the gram. So um, we did talk about Big Little Lies at the top of the show. I actually have to go watch Big Little Lies now. So I will talk to you all next month. Bye. Bye.